Put your makeup on, get your nails done, curl your hair, run the extra mile, keep it slim, so they like you. Do they like you? You don't have to try so hard. You don't have to give it all away. You just have to get up, get up, get up, get up. You don't have to change a single thing. You don't have to try, 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 try. Good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you here today. And we want to welcome our West Campus, our Appleton Campus, our online campus. Germantown, can we do that this morning? Just give a warm welcome. If you're new to Life Church, we're one church, multiple locations, and we believe that the stained glass of the 21st century is video. And so today, right now, there are campuses, again, on the Western Corridor, the 94 Corridor of the Western Suburbs of Milwaukee here, and then also in Appleton. And if you've got family and friends there, you can just go into lifechurchwi.com, and they get connected with those campuses and the campus pastors and the staff that are there to reach out to them. But it's great, great, great to be with you today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Uh, and when we get there, but we're going to kind of walk through this, this passage, through this chapter. And today we're talking about um, this phrase that Jesus uses called, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, before you gather your things and leave, nobody's going to be eating flesh today or drinking blood, okay? I just want you to know that. Uh, but we're going to talk, what does he mean by this? Because Jesus says some, sometimes some things that are very um, pungent, that are very much kind of like, almost like they're kind of barbed sayings, if you would. And, and they're just a way to kind of gather attention. They have meaning. And so this is one of those things that he says. And uh, we're going to kind of look at what, what he means by that. And, and by understanding this, you may be able to read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And maybe even begin to have some greater level of understanding when these comments and statements are made. There's really a meaning behind it. And uh, so, you know, when, when you think about this, and, and, and again, I'm going to show you something out of this passage that... I never saw before. Uh, I mean, I've read the Bible through several times and, you know, whatever, and I've studied different passages and this and that, but, but <clears throat> the reality is I've never seen one of the things I'm going to show you today. And I don't think it's like rocket science, but I do think it's very, very, very interesting because I never saw the connection. And uh, it's about food. Does that surprise you? I'm going to talk about food, right? Seriously? I, I like to eat. Thank God for, for food. And uh, amen. And so, uh, you know, it, church and food are kind of synonymous. I don't know how you view that, but, but church people like to eat. I think it's one of, the re one of the reasons why we like to eat. It's like one of the only things we can do that's not a sin. You know, you, you come to church and you can't drink anymore. You can't cuss anymore. You're not, at least not supposed to. At least not on Sunday. You can do it on Monday. And, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, smoke. What is it? Smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls that do. Something like that. So the reality is it's like all these don'ts, but the one thing you can do is eat. And we don't talk about gluttony, right? We never talk about, like, don't eat in excess. Um, and so, but we like to eat. And, and I'm telling you, I, you know, I think I have eaten more meals at a church than any, rest, any single restaurant in my life. And I eat a lot. 
and, uh, and liked to eat a lot. And so, you know, just even like, uh, it's just funny to me, even just like a, a, about a week or two ago, we had uh, in the city of Milwaukee had the, the Teen Challenge, which is a, a, a ministry to restore men and women who are addicted to uh, substance abuse, alcohol, and drugs. Uh, there's an annual uh, banquet, and it was held downtown Milwaukee. And so uh, there's about 1,600 people. And again, we're all coming together to eat. It's just amazing to me. All these people come together to eat. And, uh, and at this particular, you know, this particular gathering, uh, Phil and Kay Robinson of, Duck, of the Duck Commander, they were there as the guest speakers, and, and the governor and his wife were there. And it was a fun, fun, fun time. And even afterwards that night, uh, I was uh, with Phil for about 30, 40 minutes, taking him back to, to the airport. And, and he, of course, you know, he, I'm from Arkansas. He's in Louisiana. So we're talking a little bit of SEC football. Man, my hogs almost beat Alabama last night. That's all I want to say. And I had to watch it alone by myself. I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the Lord and Xanax, I wouldn't have got up this morning. I'm just saying. I'm joking. But I'm telling you, it was a rough loss, one point. Anyhow, and so we were talking football. And, and, and of course, being from the South, we're talking, you know, catfishing and all this other kind of stuff, or catfishing, as we'd say. And, uh, and if you don't know what catfish and hush puppies are, there's only three places in the state of Wisconsin that you can get hush puppies that I know of. Uh, one is uh, closer to the West Campus, and that's at Joey Seafood on uh, 124th and Capitol, right there next to the new Chick-fil-A. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. Maxie's, right, that's, that's, in, that's in Milwaukee. And then also Cozy Corner just opened in Appleton. That's the only three places. And I can't explain hush puppies to you. We probably should just have like a catfish fry. And not river cat, but, but farm-raised fresh catfish, totally different thing. I'm a catfish connoisseur. Don't hate, congratulate. Anyhow, I, I digress, but we're just talking about all these things. And, and what's interesting to me is, is we, it all comes back to food. And, 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 and I don't, I really think, again, when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus in a lot of these contexts around food. And that's what John's talking about. And Jesus begins to have, he begins an issue with food. He continues the dialogue with food. And he then, even in the end, as we're going to read in verses 54 and 55, he identifies himself with that. Now, I don't want to read the whole chapter because of, because of time, but, but the first 15 verses of John chapter 6, we have this miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. So there were all these people that had come to hear Jesus speak. He had been speaking all day long. Nobody had any, uh, uh, any, any food except for this one boy who had a lunch. And, and so Jesus takes this, this, this bread and this fish and he multiplies it. And 5,000 people ate. Actually, theologians tell us, scholars tell us that they only counted men. And, and so in that number, and so that would have been kind of the custom of the day. And so there probably would have been multiplied many more thousands because of the women and the children that would have been there. And so it makes it even, an even larger miracle. And after everybody's fed and had their fill... There are 13 baskets left over, and, and, and they collect that. And then Jesus and the disciples, the Bible says, then they go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side to Capernaum and really trying to withdraw from the crowd. You see this a lot with Jesus. There's this, there's this stress and release. It, it's, it's almost like what we see like in athletics. It's this, this pace of life where it's a full court press, and then it's, he lets off. It's, it's, it's full, full engaged, and then he's off. And so Jesus has done this miracle. He's been teaching all day. He, he, he's tired. He, you remember, Jesus is 100% God. He's the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he's also 100% man. And so his, his flesh, he's tired. He was wanting to get away, kind of get with the disciples. And, and as they go to the other side, they get there, and the crowd, the thousands, had followed them because of food. 
they're looking for food. Look at it in John chapter 6, verse 26. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You're looking for me, Jesus says, not because I'm the son of God. You're looking for me not because I did some miracle. You're looking for me not for true life. You're looking to me because you want another free meal. Sounds like church people, doesn't it? I mean, we show up for free food, I'm just telling you. And then Jesus tries to explain to them, look on down in verse 35 of John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. What you're really looking for, you think is physical, food, a free buffet. <laughs> but what really the truth of the matter is, is what you need is me. What you need is the bread of life. And the crowd responds in verse 41 and 42, you're not, you know, no, there's, there's, there's no way that you can be this. We know who you are. We know your parents. It's kind of like when you know somebody, you've seen a kid grow up, and all of a sudden he or she, they, they, they do something great, and you go, man, you know, I, I know his Uncle Bob over here. He's got like a, a scratch and dent appliance store over in Racine County, and, and, and I know his cousin Eddie over here. Everybody's got a cousin Eddie, amen? Even Griswold. Okay, so, so he's over here, and I, I know this kid. They, they couldn't understand what he was saying. Because what he's doing, you've got to remember, he's speaking to the Jewish community of the first century. They're looking for the Messiah. Jesus is connecting the dots. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament's prophets, prophets like Isaiah. He's fulfilling their words, and they're scratching their head, and they just don't get it. So Jesus explains, look at verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread, he will live forever. For this bread is my flesh, which I will give the, for, for the life of the world. And the crowd's like, what? Come again, like rewind, you know, what are you saying? Hold on, I, I can't download all of this fast enough. And he makes a statement in verse 54 and 55. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. What he's doing here, he's calling for commitment to the fact that he's the Messiah. He's saying, you've been following me, and you've seen me teach, and you've sat there all day long to hear me teach. Now listen, for you to sit someplace and hear somebody speak all day long, it they better be really, really, really good. And then when they do a miracle, like they feed everybody, and you see it happen in front of your very own eyes, and they take this, this little fish and chips lunch from, from Long John Silver's, and they multiply it, wow. And it's really, really great, and I get to eat all I want, wow. And then they begin to follow him. There's something about Jesus that's drawing them. The thousands followed him, not just to one place, but to the other side of the lake. They follow him. But when they get there, they're just looking for something to fill their stomach. They're just looking for something. And, but they understand in the context of the first century, these Jews would have understood that they're looking for the Messiah. And Jesus is connecting all these dots. And then he just drops it on them in verse 54 and 55. Look, I'm the bread of life. I've told you this. And he takes it, he takes his allegorical slant on it. And he basically puts this juxtaposition against the miracle that he just did at the beginning of the chapter. I fed you physical food and it nourished you. But what you really need is spiritual food. I fed you physical food. 
The same way physical food will give you energy, will, will, will give you strength, will give you nutrients, will help you live life. The way water, we know we can't survive more than three days without water. Water will nourish you and give you real life. In the same manner, I've come to save the world, and it will be my flesh and my blood that I will die for your sins and the sins of the world. And in doing so, you will have, what does he say, real blood and real life. That word real in the original language means true. It, it, he elevates it above everything else. Be, beyond the, 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 the fish and chips dinner that you just had earlier, beyond what you're looking for right now, beyond the physical food, I'm going to give you spiritual food. I'm going to not just save your life today, but I'm going to save you for eternity. I am the Savior of the world. And the big question he's putting out there for them is, do you believe this? The even bigger question is not, do you believe it? Are you willing to truly follow me? Oh, you followed me when I fed you, and you followed me when I left you. But are you really, truly willing to follow me when it's going to cost you something? People show up to church for free food. People show up to church for free events. Pe people show up for a lot of things for free. But when it's really going to cost you something, are you willing to follow? He's asking about commitment. And he continues on in verse 61. He said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? For the Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit of life. Yet there are some of you here who do not believe. That phrase, son of man, is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees a vision, basically, of, 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 of the, the son of God, of Jesus. And he says, I see the son of man in the clouds. They would have all understood this. He's telling them, unmistakably, undeniably, I am he. Eighty-eight times in the New Testament, Jesus declares, I'm the Son of Man. He uses the phrase, Son of Man, more than the Son of God. Because he's trying to make the connection. I'm 100% God. I'm everything the prophets talked about. I'm the one that will save you from your sins. Israel, I'm the one that will be your great redeemer. I'm going to be everything the Old Testament talked about. But I'm also man. And I feel your pain. And I feel your hurt. And I understand where you're coming from. But I want you to see what they did after he reveals who he really is. Look at John chapter 6, verse 66. And from this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. You ever told someone who you really are? You ever just have full disclosure? Do you ever just connect all the dots and you just kind of lay your life there bare and then they turn and they go, no thanks, I'm not interested. But I'm here to help you. I don't really want your help. I'm not here just to feed you spiritually, physically. I'm here to feed you spiritually. I'm not just here to save your soul today, but I'm here to save your soul for eternity. No thanks. And the... And the when he says disciples turn back, he's not talking about the 12. He's not talking about Peter, James, and John. He's talking about the people in the crowd that were following him. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He'll talk to the 12 in a minute. But right now, he's talking to people who claim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And then he turns to the 12. Look at in verse 67. 
You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Hey, guys, everybody else is leaving. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, everybody else is gone. And th th this happens a lot. This, ha this has been happening since the first century. This isn't a new phenomenon. And it's going to keep happening in churches. Why? Because it, it's, it's one thing to make a decision to follow Jesus. That's pretty simple. But becoming a disciple is something that's hard. Make that this statement again. Making a decision to follow Jesus is simple. But becoming a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that's a whole nother level. What, what do you mean, Aaron? Here's what I mean. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It's difficult. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. Now, you can, you can be here at Life Church today, and, and you'll have an opportunity today to say, man, I want to give my heart and life to Christ. And maybe you're sitting in the theater in Appleton, or maybe you're at the West Campus, or maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're at the Germantown campus today, and you're hearing this, and you're going, you know, I need to make a decision to follow Christ. I, I believe in Jesus, and, but I'm really not following him. So I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. And you say a prayer, because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you will be saved. So you make that decision. You check the box. But that's first base, folks. Are you going to heaven? Yes. Is that awesome? Yes. Are we excited about that? Yes. There's a few more bases to cover. To get to heaven? No. But to truly follow Jesus. And there's a lot of people today that they'll show up to church for a free lunch. They'll show up for Christmas. They'll show up for Easter. They'll show up occasionally. But they really don't want to lay down themselves. They really don't want to lay down their lives. They're not willing to eat his flesh and drink his blood as he allegorically presents it in verses 55 and 56. It costs you something to follow Jesus. Make sure everybody understands that. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. You're a high school student. You're probably not going to be the most popular kid on campus. Now, if you have some incredible athletic or, or, or talent or gift or ability, that may trump some of that and elevate that, and they'll at least tolerate you. But the Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? They're not going to invite you to the keg party on Friday night. They're not going to invite you and stand in line for every party that's going on because, quite frankly, you're kind of Debbie Downer. You're, 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 they just don't because they, they're tired of seeing you stand in a corner and not drink and not participate and not hang out. You don't mess around and you don't. So what, what are you doing there? And it makes them feel guilty of their own sin. It's true. It may cost you a client. It may cost you a, 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 a promotion. You know, man, if I, if I go out here and I do this and, and, and I mix it up over here with this client or, or, or I hang out with this, with this particular manager or boss, I can work my way up the ladder, and, but it means I'm going to have to make some compromises. If it was easy to be a Christian, everybody would do it. It's going to cost you something. And that's what Jesus is declaring. Look, if you really want to be my disciple, it's more than a free lunch. It's more than showing up for an all-day church service. It's more than showing up for a church fellowship. It's more than just saying you're a Christian. It's more than making a decision. It's truly being willing to follow me even to the cross. 
And I love how Peter responds to Jesus' question, do you want to leave me? Look at it in verse 68. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says, look, man, if we're not following you, Jesus, where else are we going to go? If we're not following you, then what else are we going to do? I mean, we've left it all. We've left, and you got to remember, these weren't like 20-year-olds following Jesus. These were grown men who had businesses. Let's talk about that for a minute. Because sometimes I think at church, we think, well, it's easy for the pastor to get up and preach this. What kind of we supposed to do? And blah, 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 blah. This really didn't work in real life. Peter walked away from the family business. The Bible said he left the boats and the nets on the shore to follow Jesus. He took the shingle off from outside of his office. He locked the door, turned off the lights, and never went back. The only time he goes back is after he denies Christ. Jesus has ascended. I mean, Jesus has, has, has gone to the, to the grave, and he goes back to fishing. And Jesus shows up and says, Peter, man, you failed. But my grace is sufficient. Bro, you're going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But I didn't call you to fish. I called you to preach my word. See, to walk away from Jesus is to walk towards something else. You're going to follow somebody. You're going to follow something. Who are you following? You're going to follow friends. You're going to follow the culture. You're going to follow corporate ladder. You're going to follow money. You're going to follow family. Let's talk about that just for a minute. It's amazing to me how many grown adults cannot make decisions on their own. They have to consult everybody in their family to make a decision. Why do you go to this church? Well, my parents go here. Why are you doing this? Well, this is where everybody else in my family lives. I'm not saying that's wrong. I love family. I think family's awesome. I love my parents. I thank God for my family. But I'm saying at some point in time, at some point, who are you following? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you here? Why are you sitting at the West Campus? Why are you in Appleton, at Life Church Appleton? Why are you here? It better be because you can say with Peter, Jesus, you are the only ones with the words of eternal life. You are the Son of the living God. I believe and I know that you are the Holy One of God. How do you know that? The Bible says that by faith that you're saved through grace and that not of ourselves as a gift of God, lest any of, I would, any of us become boastful. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I just ask you the question this morning. Who are you following? Who are you following? Who are you chasing after? Who are you running to? See, because when you look at this, this, this phrase, eat my flesh and drink my blood, the, the first side of meaning to it is commitment. Jesus is calling them to commitment. He's calling them to go beyond a decision and to become a disciple. Move beyond the fact that you just say, hey, I go to church and, and I'm going to hang out and I'm going to show up for some free lunches. And yeah, and I'm Jesus and me, we're cool, kind of like the Doobie Brothers, we're all right. But, 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 but the reality is, is to move from that to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Not a fully devoted follower of Aaron, 
Not a fully devoted follower of Life Church. That's a cult. I'm not any better than you are. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I'm not God. Nor am I any closer to him than you are. The Bible says whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Not those with a clergy. We get a little higher elevation. No. Who died and made me God? God, help us all. Amen. My wife is saying amen really loud right now. And the second is, he's foreshadowing what he will institute to remember us, to remind us, excuse me, of what he'll do on the cross through communion. He's setting all this up. It's, if in, in literary terms, it's a foreshadowing. In theological terms, it's a Christophany. He is telling. It's a forecast of who Christ is. And, and, and he uses the same language at the Last Supper. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 2, or actually turn back to Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. So Luke chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 22. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen for you. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came. Jesus and the apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it and said to them, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. How does that work? We understand what it is. It's, it's, it's Jesus going to the cross. We understand it's Jesus dying for our sins. We, we understand it's a fulfillment of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus tells the disciples, hey, this is the last meal we're going to have together. Again, food with church people. It works every time. Think about that. I'm just a thought. And I'm not making light of communion. Matter of fact, I'm fixing to turn up the pressure a little bit. But I want you to understand something about communion. Communion is not salvation. Communion does not save you from your sins. How can I know that? Because Jesus said it. You need to do this in remembrance of me, not in salvation of me. If it saved you, then you would have a work or an act of obedience that you would do in which to be saved. And James tells us in the book of James that we're not saved by our works that we're saved through grace, that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross and said, it is finished, it's over, done, said for, paid in full. I can't do anything. I can't earn it. I, I don't deserve it. It's amazing grace. But communion is a symbol. I want you to get this. Communion is a symbol. It represents the body and blood of Christ. It's very important, very important. It's a symbol. Jesus says, I want you to understand this bread represents my body, his humanity. This, this cup represents my blood. Without the shedding of blood, Isaiah says, the Old Testament prophet, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. That's the second thing. Communion is remembrance. What are you remembering? Well, you're remembering what God did for us. 
You're remembering that Emmanuel, God, is now with us. You remember that God died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again, just like the Bible says. You remember that, but you also remember one other thing that sometimes we don't remember. And that is that we remember that God remembers our sin no more. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins, the Bible says he takes them and he casts them as far as the east is from the west. What does that mean, Aaron? The east and the west never meet. So what you did last month that you asked God to forgive you for, what you did last year that you asked God to forgive you for, what you did prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, what you asked God to forgive you for, what you may ask God to forgive you for in a few minutes, after you ask for, for him to forgive you, the Bible says in 1 John that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Faithful, which means he will do it every single time without fail. And just means he has the power to make that kind of a statement. He didn't remember your sins. You know how stinking awesome that is? Because everybody else in my world, they remember my faults. Everybody else in our world, especially in, in, in the media world that we live in, it's like everything is, is in perpetuity. Everything just keeps going and going. It's always out there, right? You tell your kids, don't put anything online that you don't want to be out there forever because it's out there and there's no way to retract it. It's in the cloud. How do we get it? I don't know, but it's out there, right? Not with God. He remembers them no more. And lastly, communion is a commitment. It's a commitment. Listen to these words that Paul gave to the church in Corinth, recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, 28, and 29. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty heavy. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. Paul says, look, this is not some little thing that you do because you're in church. This is not some little innocuous thing that you do. This is very powerful. That's why I'm telling you, I'm not making light of it. I think sometimes we come in and make light of it. Sometimes we go out there and live like the devil, and then we show up at church on Sunday, we wipe our feet off on, on, the, on the mat called grace, and we just kind of go do what we want to do and don't think anything about it. I'm telling you, I don't mean to be mean, but if you're living in sin today, before you take communion, you better get right. I didn't write it. Look, man, I'm telling you, that wigs me out, trips me out. Because God said, this is a powerful thing not to be taken lightly. Why? Because communion represents not a decision, but discipleship. When you partake of communion, you are saying, I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I may not be perfect, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not a Christian that just shows up for the free meals. I'm not a Christian that just shows up to consume. I'm not a Christian that just shows up in Galavantian. I'm not just somebody who shows up for Christmas and Easter. Reason why a lot of times at Christmas and Easter, we don't always do communion. And the Christers, the people that show up for Christmas and Easter, get mad. Because by God, they want their communion. Because they think it saves them. When are we ever going to take the Bible and open it up and read it for ourselves? It's a symbol, a powerful symbol that we should do regularly. But what it says, it says this, this is what my God did for me. Thank you, Jesus. 
My sins are washed away, man. I've been redeemed and restored, and God remembers them no more. Thank you, Jesus. But it's also a sign for me to say, Jesus, like Peter, you have the words of eternal life. And though the thousands may leave you, I'm here because you are the true and the one living God. Making a decision to follow Jesus is simple. But becoming a disciple is hard. I want to end with reading just this piece of literature that I have that I, I keep in a file. I keep it on my laptop that just reminds me. When I become a crusty Christian, because we all have our temptations in our days, it reminds me of what it means to follow Jesus. It's not about perfection. Please don't misunderstand me. And listen, if it was about perfection, I am the least in this room. I'm the least perfect. But it's about going beyond a decision. And it's about truly declaring that Jesus is my Lord. I'm a disciple. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. For the die has been cast and I've stepped over the line. I have made a decision. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. For my past is redeemed, my presence makes sense, and my future is secure. I'm done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth leaves, sweet knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane walking, chintzy giving, or dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. For I now live by presence, learn by faith, love by patience, and lift up by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, and my gate is fast, for my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, but my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of, of, the, of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. For I will not give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I have preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. For I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. For I will go until he turns. I will give until I drop. I will preach until all know, and I will work until he comes. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. For my colors will be clear. I am a disciple of Jesus. Father, I just ask you today to help us to move beyond decision to discipleship. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to become the disciple, the fully devoted follower of you, Jesus. That you would help us not to just make a decision for Jesus, but to truly commit to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.